Hey everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. My name's Christopher Brown, and I will be your host. Since the launch of this show, I've been asked the same thing. Why do you do it? And I give everyone the same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we often find ourselves becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one thing, get people talking again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. And today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I sit down with Kanda's drag star, Misconception. During the show, we talk about how Misconception got their start as a drag queen in 2000, how a quick conversation in a bar in Mexico turned into a 10-year dream come true, and also RuPaul's Drag Race. So, enjoy cross-border interviews featuring Misconception. Misconception, I want to thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Um, uh, I, I know you have a show coming up. I, I won't take much of your time. So uh, I want to dive deep uh, into a little bit of your past, and then we'll talk about your shows today. Um, first off, where did your sense of entertaining people come from? Oh, my. I think it, <laughs> I think it started from when I was a, a young boy dancing around the living room in my mom's dresses to uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but um, actually, I, I started a lot from my sister, Christina, because uh, when we were younger, we used to do a whole bunch of plays and stuff like that. And she used to be all the stars and I would be the understudies, basically. <laughs> uh, so she basically would do the Wizard of Oz and play all the characters and I would be the dog. Dog. But at least I got a role. Uh, so I think the, the sense of entertaining people really started young uh, in my house because we just used to always dress up and and uh, and put on plays and stuff. Did your mother and father foster that in you as well to let you yeah, explore they that? It. They loved watching all the plays and, and everything like that. And then and do a whole bunch of stuff. I remember when I saw the Phantom of the Opera when I was very young. I uh, remember finding an old lampshade in my uh, basement and putting birthday candles, gluing birthday candles to the old lampshade and then rigging it to my ceiling, lighting them and putting on the soundtrack from the Phantom of the Opera where the chandelier falls and my parents sitting in my bedroom and I was like, oh my God. I look back now and I'm like, wow, I was uh, a huge flaming homosexual. <laughs> Well, I, I think we uh, I, I can say the same thing I did. I, uh, my parents didn't foster it as much as yours did, but I, I can say that I was secretly going behind the curtain and practicing a few musical numbers as well. <laughs> um, so uh, you didn't grow up in Toronto, correct? No, I grew up in Mississauga. Oh, so you okay? Because for some reason, I thought you grew up in a small rural town. So, growing up in Mississauga, um, did you have icons that you could look at to say, "This is what I want to do someday," or was uh, your passion for drag coming later in life? Oh, my passion for drag came way later. I never thought I'd be doing drag at all. I wanted to be on stage somehow. I wanted to be in Broadway musicals. I wanted to be in 
like well on on stage somewhere, right? And uh, no, the passion definitely wasn't from when I was younger. I I don't know where the passion for I think the passion for drag only really came until I started visiting the gay village around when I was about eighteen years old. So what what was what was the spark? What was that spark that said, you know what, I can do this? Um, I'm not <laughs> sure about the spark. Whether it was a uh, – I don't know. I'm kind of thinking it was um, – I, I just saw these – I saw these drag queens on stage and, 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 and saw them being beautiful and then also saw them making money and I thought, well, I want to get tipped. <laughs> Everyone works for tips, right? Hello, right? Exactly. So, so yeah. Uh, so, from what I understand, and I, I've done some research on you. I've I've in, I've watched interviews with you from YouTube to uh, your interviews uh, on Instagram. So, I, I know that you started in 2000 when you first yeah. your very first stage appearance was 2000. So. Take me through that process of getting up the courage to do it, because uh, some people might not have that courage to actually go out and perform in front of people. But actually to perform in front of people in drag is a whole new level. So what was that process for you like? Um, the process for me was I, I went I used to go to Zippers on Monday nights and watch JJ Murray and Felicia and uh, like I said, watching them have fun and have cocktails and entertain the crowd and, and be silly. And, and so what, and, and some, sorry. And I basically, what happened was I just one day said to Felicia, I said, can I, you know, do drag in your show next week? And she was like, yeah, sure. And I thought to myself, Oh God, okay. this is it. And so I went around and I, I, by then I had new knowing a couple drag queens so I had someone do my hair um, I had someone I went to I take a walk on the wild side and bought size 12 moose shoes uh, which are not that uncommon nowadays because lots of drag queens are size 12s um, and I remember going to the $20 store on Young Street and they had uh, all these fabulous little dresses, and I bought this pink dress, and it had a belly top, which I was – yes, I was that thin back then. Well, you, you still uh, are. You, I don't know you if are, I should have been wearing a top. You're, you're still a twig. <laughs> oh, God. I'm Rubenesque now. I look like I ate the whole turkey. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so then I talked to Lena Overe, that was a drag queen in Toronto, that uh, I said, uh, well, how – you know, can you paint me? Can you, you know, do me up in drag? And and she said, yeah, sure. And then the night of the show, uh, Lena Overe like scrambled around like a crazy and couldn't paint me. And I had my sisters coming. I had my um, my uncles coming to the show. I had uh, a whole bunch of stuff, uh, a whole bunch of staff from where I worked at Casey's at Sherway Gardens and, and, and so forth. And um, I, Lino said, I can't paint you for the show. So I was freaking out and I was like, oh, God, shit. What do I do? What do I do? And Ricky Ronch, who was a drag queen back then as well, uh, he still does drag. Uh, he was the one that said, all right, sit down, kid. And I sat down and uh, he painted me up in drag and technically the first person that does you up in drag or puts you together and it's kind of your drag mother, right? 
So uh, Ricky Ronch uh, is my drag mother. Lena Over wishes she was my drag mother, but she screwed that up, didn't she? <laughs> yes, she did. And, <laughs> um, and then uh, Misconception was created from there. So what was the first song that you performed? And did you... Uh, uh, there's there's two types of drag queens that I've seen. There's ones who will sing the song and who ones who will lip sing to the song. So which one were you and what was that first song for you and why did you choose it? Uh, so back then I was uh, lip syncing and uh, I chose um, two songs. I chose Decoration of Love by Celine Dion because I'm a huge Celine Dion fan because she's the greatest singer in the world, eh? Hey. And uh, I chose... Uh, Robin loves. Uh, it, it was "Show Me Love" by sorry, "Show Me Love" by Robin, and I don't know why it was just the hit song back then in 2000, and I just chose it because I just loved the song myself, and I knew it was very popular amongst the uh, the audience and stuff like that. And were your did you have jitters or was it uh, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna kill it. Like I kill everything I else. I did and I didn't because I'd already been on stage with a, a theater group before when I was about 15, 16 years old. So I wasn't very comfortable being on stage. But of course I was nervous. I still get nervous to this day. I still get so nervous. I mean I could do a show, you know, last year I did TV Land. Uh, I did 112 shows of TV Land through the whole year. And still on the last show I get nervous because I don't know if something's going to go wrong or – I don't know how the crowd's going to like me if they react to me or if they like me, you know, and stuff like that. So it was uh, it was it was really kind of freaky. But, hey, you are and and here I am today. Look at that. Um, So you you, uh, I I would say this and I'm not trying to toot your horn here, but you are probably one of the most famous drag queens in all of Canada. One of them. Yes. Uh, you, yeah. uh, if not the most famous. Um, well, I'm not, unfortunately, anymore because uh, Brooklyn Heights from RuPaul's Drag Race, darling. So, uh, so she bumped me down my totem pole. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I will be the first to admit uh, I, I, I never watched RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I've, oh. o- I've only known you. So I've only been able to look up to you and say this is what I think of a, a drag queen should be and should act like. So <laughs> thank you. That makes me feel fat. Fabulous! Then and I, you should watch RuPaul's Drag Race. So it's well, fabulous. my my husband has gotten me into season twelve, so I have my favorite for season season twelve. But Jackie Cox, if I'm not mistaken, is also Canadian on the show. So oh, we love New York City. She's fabulous. Yes. So yeah. Um, when you were first starting out, uh, meeting all the queens who were coming up, who were established, uh, did they give you advice to hone your skills, to do better, to ensure that every time you went on, you would always try to outperform your last show? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I still learn stuff every day. Um, there were so many mentors I had back then. Uh, when I went on stage and someone said, oh, you should try this or you should do this with your makeup or, you know, this or that. So uh, it was very nice to be taken under the wing of incredible impersonators like 
Terry Stevens and Scarlet Fever, Michelle Ross, Georgia Girl, and so many others, you know, and uh, the late, great Chris Edwards taught me so much as well. So did anyone give you any advice that you once you heard it, you went, uh, I'm not going to try that. And then once you did or you, you, you hesitantly tried it and went, OK, maybe I should actually listen to this person. I did. It wasn't a drag queen, though. It was a gentleman called Steve Roseland, who I loved very dearly. God rest in peace. Uh, he was trying to get me to sing live forever. And I started singing songs live here and there with Steve um, back in, uh, good gosh, 2006 or I think about six, we started doing a, a little trio called Three's Company Cabaret with Horizon and myself. And uh, Steve really pushed me to do live. And I really didn't want to because I had, you know, I, I didn't have a female voice to sing in. So I I was worried about that, that people would judge me about that. But then I realized afterwards it doesn't matter. They just want to be entertained. And so I was very hesitant about that. And now I'm glad I did because now for almost the last 10 years, I've been touring my live shows while live singing. Um, during the first few years when you were starting out, um, drag wasn't fully accepted. RuPaul's Drag Race wasn't on, so it wasn't a uh, wide-known uh, uh, genre. People still had the stigma that, and I use this word uh, politely here, that these people are deranged and they might not know what they're thinking about and they're dressing up as women. Did you ever feel any of that backlash from uh, uh, the so-called right-wing uh, social conservatives? Um, not necessarily myself, but it definitely was out there. Uh, and it was, you know, there was, there was, I mean, it still happens, believe it or not, to this day. I mean, it's, it's, yes, it is drag is a little more accepted and more people have opened their eyes to drag because of RuPaul's Drag Race. But uh, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, people that look up bad upon drag or or think it's perverted or or you know why are these men dressing up as women or you know and, and stuff like that uh, meanwhile you know it was straight men that were dressing up and as women you know barry humphreys uh, dame edna i mean he's a straight man with children it, it's all theater to me so uh, back then, I didn't run into it, but it definitely was there uh, for uh, the community and stuff like that, for sure. And what's the biggest, and I use this pun uh, to tr transition into the next set of questions, but I'll ask this last question. What's the biggest misconception that you have faced from uh, people not understanding the drag community? Um, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> people not understanding the drag community? They don't give it a chance. They don't give it a chance, I think. Uh, I think once they give it a chance, they realize that it's uh, so much fun and, 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 and stuff like that. And they just judge it right away, right? And so once they give it a chance, they're, they're hooked. And they're like, oh, my God, that that's not what I thought it was going to be. I've had so many people say that to me. see my shows. Lots of straight men have come to my shows in Puerto Vallarta. Um, and they have been dragged by their wives and they have left the show with a smile on their face and they said, wow, that is not what I thought this would have been. I had the best time of my life. And so the transition now is how did you get your name? Uh, I, I've heard the story, but I've heard uh, bits and pieces of it. So when did the name come about? Was it in that 2000 show or was it later on? 
It um it was actually uh it was very simple. It wasn't anything very fancy to get my drag name actually. We were kind of all sitting around the living room my friend Jack and Ben's place uh who actually helped me uh start Misconception as well who all uh, got together and said you should do drag blah blah blah. And uh we were just sitting around the living room with my friend Paul as well. I think it was Paul's living room. And uh, we were getting drunk in the afternoon, probably smoking some pot. <gasps> <laughs> Terrible. And uh, <laughs> and I think what uh, happened, we were just kind of shooting out drag names. And some, I, I wanted it to start with Miss. I don't know why. I kept on saying, I want it to start with Miss. I want So everyone started going through the, the names of Miss this, Miss that, Miss that. And then a friend, I don't even know who it was. And, and they're going to maybe listen to this podcast and be like, you, I'm terrible of you. <laughs> But uh, they just shouted up misconception, and I thought, wow, that's great because drag is a misconception. So that's uh, – it just stuck with me. It just – I thought it was catchy. I thought it was a, a good pun on words and, and, and stuff like that. So. so were you going by a different name prior to that or was – I have always been misconception. Wow. Can you believe that? I am impressed. It doesn't happen much. No, and I I can say that my first introduction to you was uh, on Proud FM when you were on the radio station. Uh, I would listen to you from my my rural community of about 800 people secretly listening to it on the internet, listening with my headphones. So I I, I can say that uh, I've only known you as Misconception, so it's been interesting to see your progression. And your progression has gone from working down downtown Toronto in bars to now internationally going around the world. You've been to uh, Provincetown. You have a residency. I in Provincetown for the summers. Yeah. And you, you currently are in residency in PV, not with COVID-19. Yeah, uh, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, I'm there uh, for the winters, probably usually around November to April. So how did that start? How did you get that connection down in Mexico? Uh, actually, Cameron, Scarlet Fever, and I, uh, we went down to Puerto Verde 11 years ago for the beef dip, and which Steve Buchak uh, owns. Uh, he runs uh, – it's always the end of January. The beef dip is a big bear party, which I love. <laughs> and uh, there we were. Uh, on the beach having fun and this and that and I said to Cameron because you know I love shows and I said we need let's go to see a show tonight let's go see a show and back then the you know the only cabaret I don't not the only cabaret but the really well known one was the Palm Cabaret there was no Act Two stages or Encanto which are there right now and uh, I walked into the Palm met a gentleman named Mark Rome and we walked down the stairs watch a show uh, and, a, and a lovely lady named Kim Kuzma who uh, has been uh, a dear friend of mine ever since. And we watched her show, and she was picking on us on the couch. And she said, where are you guys from? What do you do? And I said, well, I'm a drag queen. She said, what? You are? I said, yeah. And she said, I, I, and she said, do you sing? I said, yeah, I do. She goes, why don't you come up here and sing something? And I said, okay. And I came up on stage with her, and I sung Sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> And there we were singing uh, the song together, laughing, giggling. And then after the show, uh, I had chatted with her and I chatted with Mark. And Mark said to me, uh, you know, ask me for a DVD. And I swear to God, I always carried a DVD in my pocket. So I pulled out a promo DVD out of my pocket. 
and gave it to Mark. Well, the next day we had uh, uh, there was a drag queen there named Joanna who's still there, part of the Dueling Drag Divas. Um, she had said, "Well, you guys got to come to see my show," and uh, we said, "Okay, sure, why not?" So we went to see her show the next night. And when I walked in the club, Mark uh, looked at me and said, oh, my gosh, we have been laughing our asses off at your video. I said, oh, my God, I'm so glad you like it. He said, when would you want to come here and work next year? And I said, oh, well, when is the best time? And he said, January till April. And I said, well, then I'll come the whole time. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And then so I never thought anything of it. I mean, I didn't know Mark back then, but I now I know Mark very well. And I take the man's word on everything. And there I was. I was working with Proud FM. And I got the phone call around June from Mark Rome. And he sent me a message. He phoned me and he said, are you still interested in coming to Puerto Vallarta? to do a show and I said absolutely so I got the job and I wrote my first one man show which was called Misconception Stage to Screen Show and uh, the rest is history and that stage to screen show uh, you had characters uh, from uh, backgrounds from uh, Broadway and television, correct? It was it was Broadway, so Broadway movies. So I did um, Broadway's and my movies. My first ever show was uh, Lion King, Sound of Music, Annie, Chicago, um, Rocky Horror, and that was it. I only did like three or four costumes. I think about four costume changes um, in one of my first shows I ever did. And then people were really amazed that I was just ripping away costumes on stage. So that's how I got kind of really clever and thought, well, how many can I wear? <laughs> and thought, well, this could be interesting to see how many costumes I can actually wear and then do an intermission and wear another slew of costumes as well. So so did you think the first uh, that first uh, from January to April, those first four months in P uh, Puerto Vallarta, we're only going to be a one time thing. It was just going to be a one thing and you'd leave and you'd go do uh, your show back in Canada or were you hoping that maybe he'll ask me back if I get we'll start bringing in the people? Absolutely. That's exactly how you do it with any cabaret is you just hope you get the numbers and that they ask you to come back. And I knew I did very well for my first season because there was sometimes that we sold out. And there was sometimes that I only had 10 people in my audiences. There was sometimes I only had 20, but it didn't matter. They The show must go on. And and so, yeah, I was very worried about that. And then I was still coming back home and working at Woody's and stuff like that for many years uh, after doing Port of Air. It wasn't until actually Provincetown that I had left Woody's, uh, my full-time uh, gig at Woody's. Uh, so, um, yeah. So um, you you go back every year now or as much as you can because with uh, uh, COVID-19, you've... Yeah, every year for the last uh, almost 10 years. It'll be my 10th anniversary in Port of Air the next year. So what what's what's big for ten, the 10th year? The 10th year is going to be the Immaculate Conception, basically. <laughs> I want to do a show about my life. I want to do a show from birth to the day we're living in right now, which is COVID. <laughs> uh, so I really want to uh, choose things and, and talk about my family and stuff like that, but really funny songs and costumes and this and that. And I, I think it's going to be a really good one. 
And now when you're coming up with shows, when you're uh, sitting down and sketching out of how you're going to do a show, what's your process? Is it just ad lib the first time and just see what works and then just go back and start just editing each time you go on stage? Or is it I'm going to sit down with a piece of paper and pen. I know these five songs I want to sing. These are the jokes I'm going to tell. How is your process? My process, the first process of writing and putting together a show is um, uh, picking a theme. I pick the theme first, and then I think, what characters can I add to the show? And I think about the audiences. I don't think about myself. Uh, I think about the audiences. What what characters would the audience know? I don't want to do too many obscure characters where I have people going, well, who the hell is that? Or, you know, or something like that. So I, I pick the theme and then I think afterwards uh, what characters are going to be. And then once I've chosen my characters, I think what songs would these characters sing? Not necessarily if they have their own songs, if it was a Disney show, but when I did my TV land show, none of those television characters sung. So I thought, well, what would Karen from Will and Grace sing if I was to do Karen from Will and Grace? So I thought, well, she would do Raise Your Glass by Pink because she's a drunk and she's a very wealthy woman. So she did Money, Money, Money uh, by ABBA. And then so forth, I, I thought, you know, what would I Dream of Jeannie sing? She would sing Jeannie in a Bottle. And then and, 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 and I went from there. And then uh, I would cut the show definitely. I, I mean, there's opening nights where I've – Open the show with 14 different characters, and I've ended up with 10 characters by the by the, the like three weeks later. I've ended up with 10 characters because I mean I can feel the audience, and and any good performer can feel the audience and know oh this character's not working, or or something like that. And when you're trying uh, new characters, is it someone that you are, you've done in the past, or you've made impressions while just ad libbing at home, or is it someone you go I'm going to try and uh, emulate this person on stage. I'm going to uh, look at like you said Karen Walker I might not uh, be able to do her now but before the show starts I want to be able to uh, emulate Karen Walker so when people are watching me they see Karen Walker Absolutely, actually, because I used to lip sync Karen Walker and I thought to myself, I, I can't. How am I going to sing? You know, how am I going to do Karen live? How am I going to do this? And I thought, well, what do I do and this and that? And and I just practiced and practiced and nailed her, you know, and and still, you know, I, I still do that with characters where I think of a character and then go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then sometimes they're a work in progress through the show. Once the show opens up, it's like a. It's like a, a tech run. <laughs> <laughs> tech run. Um, are there characters that you know everyone will want to come back and see because uh, you've done it once, you get that amazing response from that character. So every show, you know what? I'm going to put her in as the encore, as the person that people are just going to say, yep, she did She did that one character. Because I know uh, watching you uh, during my time, you've had Mary Poppins. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were you did a nun for a while, correct? Oh, yeah. I've had Sister Act in my show yes. for many years. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Maria from The Sound of Music. Yes, that's one of my classics. I love her. Yes. So and that's where I uh, my, I remember the first time seeing you live was seeing you do Maria and I was <laughs> impressed. So, uh, right, right. so are there other characters that you've gone? Uh, I, I know that I if if I'm having an off day, if I bring these characters to the front, these will automatically bring down the house. Yes. Tina Turner. <laughs> 
My Tina Turner is so funny and so much fun to perform. The audience gets so into it. Not only that, but um, I dress up two people as my background dancers. I teach them the choreography, uh, and they become my dancers. And when I'm doing, you know, Tina Turner, it is like a standing ovation number when I do it. So I always try to keep Tina Turner always in my bag. Have, have there been ones that you've done and they've just completely flopped no matter where you've done them? Because uh, drag, uh, being a drag queen, it, it can sometimes, you can do an amazing job with 15 of your 16 characters in that one, no matter how hard you try, it's just never going to work. Um... I don't know. That's a hard one. I mean, I sometimes toss them right away. Okay. Uh, like in my TV land show, I, do, I was doing Spock and I was doing the Swedish chef, but they just weren't working. They get, weren't getting what I wanted from the audience. I thought they were funny, but nope. The audience did not think they were funny. <laughs> but you were always funny, though. So no matter what, you're always funny. I'll laugh at you at any day. Um, you have numerous shows. Like you said, you said you TV uh, land. Uh, you also have your Disney one. And I want to talk about that one a bit because Disney with a Z, not with a S-E-N-E-S. Yes, that's copyright, darling. Um, how did the Disney one come about? Was it just from your love of growing up and uh, uh, entertaining your mom and dad with your sister? Or was it your love of Disney grow uh, throughout your life? Oh, it was my love of Disney for all my life. Um, but like I said earlier on, I said that I did a um, uh, number. I lip synced Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, bonjour, bonjour. There goes the famous <laughs> tray. And I remember uh, doing this. And it was just ridiculous. And I thought, uh, well, why not do this on stage? So I put a whole bunch of stuff together and 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 figured out um, what characters again, what to do with the Disney show and, 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 and so forth. And uh, the Disney show was actually one of my major hits. Yes. Okay. It was one of my one of my biggest shows. Uh, and I that the new show I'm currently filming right now is um, uh, is my villain show, which is kind of a spinoff, a little bit of my Disney show, uh, doing uh, Captain Hook and and the Queen of Hearts and and uh, um, Hocus Pocus, which is Disney and Maleficent, and right? Maleficent was in my original Disney show. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. So looking forward, you say you, you're heading into 10th year as a uh, performer down in PV in your residency in uh, Puerto Vallarta. Um, do you still see this as a thing that you, you can do for 10, 15, 20? Because you're only 29, if I'm not mistaken, or 20, 32? Uh, I love you. <laughs> I'm turning 40 in a month. No. No. Yep. I was I was 20 years old when I started doing drag. 19 when I started doing drag. Okay. And now, now I'm the worst when it comes to ages, so I apologize. But you look younger than you are. So I, well, take, take that as a comment. Well, lots of Botox. Thank you. <laughs> so but, do, um, do, you, do you see this sustainable? Or is there a moment when you start going, okay, now I'm going to be the drag mother to the up-and-comers who are starting out? Absolutely not. I am going to do this until 55. That is my cutoff. 
I'm hoping till 55, uh, maybe 60, but I'm going to try to retire. when I'm So about 15 more years. Um, I think that if you keep on reinvent, reinventing yourself, if you keep on fighting for goals, uh, you can have a career in drag for a long time. Uh, the sad part is a lot of drag queens just give up and get lazy and I'm not getting lazy I am not giving up I am going for the gold I wanted Provincetown I got Provincetown I wanted Puerto Vallarta I got Puerto Vallarta I want RuPaul's Drag Race I will get RuPaul's Drag Race so are you applying for the Canadian edition that's coming to Canada I applied for the American because I have a US visa what really Uh yeah Oh, I did not know that. That's the one thing I did not learn about when I was doing research on you. Which, yeah, I, like, have to, I have to have a U.S. visa for to work in Provincetown. Oh, I guess so. So, so I have an I have an O one visa, which is an entertainment visa. So do you uh, as a do you watch drag uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and think yeah. I, I could beat these queens? Uh, some <laughs> of them I could. Some of them are really good, but I'm a fighter and I. When I put something, when I put my mind to something with looks or something like that, I know I can pull it off. So I think I'd do really well on the show. I think I'd give a lot of the queens a run for their money. Uh, do you think? Do I think I'd win? Yes, but it all depends. Every challenge is different. Every um, you don't know what they're going to look for, and you could end up in the bottom too. But then you got to lip sync for your life, girl. So I, I got to ask because, like I said, I've been watching season twelve, so I know all these now. Are you a good reader? Is that the correct term I'm using? Right, reading. I am not a good reader. I'm terrible at reading people. But if I had been put on the spot, I could read a bitch. Let's just say that. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Oh God, yes, God, yes. We've had people just swear. We've had people get high during the show. We've had people uh, open up freaking cans of beer while during the show so you could do whatever you want that's funny um and then what uh, the other question is who would be your snatch game go to uh my snatch game for sure would be karen walker um susan boyle susan and... boyle really oh yeah why not no one's ever done her she's hilarious let's hear your and, susan uh, boyle and, and carol baskin <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, so we'll uh, transition into the uh, last part of the topics that I want to talk about. Um, looking back on your life so far, uh, the amazing uh, uh, trajectory that you've made, you're still going. What would what advice would you give to that first misconception show who was going that first misconception that was going out there for the first time? What advice would you give her today? Um, I would give her positive advice. I would give her never, ever, ever let anyone tell you you cannot do anything because it's so true. I had teachers in school tell me that I was going to be nothing. I had a lot of teachers that knew I was going to be something. So I would give my 20-year-old self a misconception. I would say don't listen to the haters and just work your ass off and you will be famous. And what about the uh, the struggling kid right now who's thinking about getting into drag, but he's unsure because he might have a, uh, uh, a upbringing where it's not accepted. What advice would you give them? I would say to that young person, I would say uh, just take your time. Don't rush into anything. Uh, know what you want to do. 
Um, but don't hold back. If you want to be a drag, you want to be something, you, you be that something you change, you know, your setting and, and, uh, or just, you know, keep it quiet for now until you move out on your own and then become that fabulous drag queen you are. And my last question for you, misconception, um, do you, do you regret anything that's happened in your life so far? Or are you the person you are today because of the mistakes and the trials and tribulations you've made, you've had? I am the person I am today because I've made so many mistakes. I, you know, I've done many drugs when I was younger. I drank too much. I, you know, I mean, I don't look back and I don't. I don't look back and say, wow, you were stupid. It's, it's, it's life. You know, we all, we all learn from our mistakes and stuff like that. And no, I think I, I definitely learned a lot uh, and I don't regret anything. That's awesome. Uh, I know you have another interview here in about 10 minutes, so I won't keep you much longer. I want to thank you very much for doing this. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, we, uh, my husband, I am trying to drag my husband to a show of yours here soon. We were going to make it in PV, but uh, it was sold out, and then we decided that we were going to go to Cancun instead, so we went to Cancun. So uh, when this is all said and done and you're in Toronto, I will be dragging him to a Toronto show for sure. October 16th, 17th, and 18th at Buddies and Bad Times Theater, Villains. Villains? Uh, if if everything is said and done and this COVID-19 Let's is... Hope. Yes, it will be. But I, yet again, thank you very much for doing this. I won't take much of your time. And have yourself an excellent rest of your day and break a leg out on the show this tonight. Thanks, babe. Nice to see you. Yeah, talk to you later. Bye. And once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.